You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Rodney, Mark, maybe Towner. Towner will maybe pop in. It's another Friday edition of the Beltway Briefing, and this week in debt ceiling politics, playing with the credit rating of the United States of America, the president had all the leaders of Congress over to the White House. They had a nice meeting and nothing was accomplished. They were supposed to meet again today, Friday. They kicked it ahead to next week which to me is actually a sign of some progress being made because you don't do that unless something's happening behind the scenes. But Rodney, what are your thoughts on that? You actually have a little more insight into this than maybe some others do. So tell us, what what do you make of that? I think it's good news. I think the meeting went as well as expected at the White House. I think Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans have leverage that the Democrats and their friends in the mainstream media don't want to talk about. And in the end, behind the scenes is where the work's really getting done at the staff level. And I have yet to see a lot of leaks and damaging information coming out about other sides, uh, about each side of the mm-hmm. of the discussion. And what that means for my history in Congress is that that's progress. And I I, I will tell you, I I will say one thing, keep an eye out for Garrett Graves. Garrett, a member of Congress from Louisiana, a great ally of Kevin McCarthy. I served with him on transportation infrastructure his entire career here. He is one of the smartest individuals ever to serve in the history of the U.S. House. He understands how to go in at the policy level, make an argument, debate that point, and really delve into why it's important to have a deal on something like the debt ceiling. Mark, what what's your take on the Democratic side of the aisle? Yeah, I agree with Rodney that it's probably good news that the meeting got pushed ahead. I do think that means that progress is being made. My view, and I think the Democratic side view, is we are going to get to a debt ceiling deal. The debt ceiling is going to be raised. There will be a spending bill and there will be spending cuts that accompany the raising of the debt ceiling. And the two questions are, is that all done at once or is that a two-step dance? And how much pain are the markets going to inflict on all of us between now and then? So the less said, I'm with Rodney, the less said, the the less leaking and the less meeting, the better. Let them get to work and get to where everybody knows they're going. I think we end up with, with two bills, not one. And I think we end up with cuts, but not the entirety, obviously, of the House package. And I'm just rooting for them to do it before the markets have to do what you live through with tar power, before the markets have to crash and then a fire drill to get it done three days later. Caitlin, you were up on the Hill this week. Were were people talking about it or <laughs> were people focused on 
the issues of the day, like cannabis. Uh, <laughs> what was that, Rodney? <laughs> cannabis. Cannabis. Yes. Well, look, no, this isn't. I feel like this is something that the media and obviously the business community and Wall Street are very hyper focused on. It's great to see that the two conversations are finally happening. It's a shame that it took so long for the White House to pick up the phone and, and kickstart these conversations. But, you know, there are, there's a lot of other things happening on Capitol Hill this week. House Republicans passed a massive border security bill with the expiration of Title 42 last night. And another week where folks said that the Republican House can't get it together and can't pass a bill and another week that that was proven wrong. But even that, Caitlin, is not I mean, I know that that's a headline issue. I guess. All day, every day, we're up there. We're talking about our clients issues, which are not sometimes they're headline issues. Frankly, the less they are, the better. But we're up there talking about stuff and and kind of life goes on. And I I just like to to use this podcast as Towner knows to shout from the rooftops. Don't don't buy the head fake. Don't assume that what's going on, you know, on CNN. Oh, I mentioned CNN. Sorry. We may have to come <laughs> back to CNN. What's going on on CNN? I want to impersonate Howard on the CNN issue when when we're ready. Okay, what's but, going on on CNN is what's going on in Washington, and and that's obviously not the case. We're up there every day talking about issues that that are not up up at the level of the headlines, and, and kind of like whether it's the border or whether it's. Finally, um, getting a hearing on the Safe Banking Act. In, well, there's a perfect a banking committee. For well, example, there, there's a perfect example. Right. I know you're very excited about making the world safe for pot smokers. So, congratulations. I just no, want to get no, all no. Of that, all the cash off the street into the system right. and provide safe harbor for banks to bank. Right. No, this is about street, street crime, Howard. It's I pot know. sellers, not pot. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I just obviously we we care greatly about that issue. We have many cannabis yeah. clients, and but but Howard, to your yeah. point, business is being done. The life goes on apart from the the debt ceiling. But a lot of the business that is being done sinks back up with the debt ceiling when it relates to spending. We're That's up true. there. We are up there a lot on health care, as, as you and our listeners know. The health care issues, it's a very big week in health care, the expiration of the uh, uh, public health emergency, which syncs up with the immigration, Title 42. But all of our spending discussions, site neutral and dish cuts, so all the stuff that's in the weeds uh, that, that we're talking about every day, ultimately has to fit in whatever deal gets done on the debt ceiling because it all goes to a spending number. Yeah. Well, it's a good point, Mark, and an interesting point because just because things are not just because we're not up there talking about headline issues per se doesn't mean we don't try to connect our clients' concerns back to the headlines. Like I've right. said many times on this podcast, if you want to get anybody's attention right now in Washington, connect your issue to China in some way. Yep. And which is like the perfect example. Ty, if you 
if you if you find a way to tie your issue to competition with China or combating Chinese influence, you're going to get attention. Or if you find a way to disentangle your issue from China, you'll do better. It it goes both ways. So I just I, I think it's interesting to shed a little light on that, Towner, for for our our listening audience. Towner, come on in here. But, you know, work is progressing. The authorization, I, I think we were negotiating uh, bill text and language with committees on behalf of four different clients this week and still have another negotiation to go today. The committees are drafting like crazy and it, none of it has anything to do with anything that's in the news, which is phenomenal. But they are all major issues in healthcare, in national parks, negotiating text for a national parks bill, healthcare issues, as I mentioned. Transportation, transportation, you know, the the business of Congress, despite the circus that everybody sees is 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 still going on and the work of the government is still going on. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more probably as we get into some other topics this morning where it looks horrific and work is actually happening in a real way behind the scenes. Okay. Do you care to care to like share? To, care to yeah, share? To jump in the debt ceiling right well, now. We've already been. De- we've already. Been oh, you've already been down ceiling. the debt ceiling road. Okay, I apologize. But but please take us back there. What are your thoughts on well, on the state of play? You know, I mean, we saw the meeting on Tuesday. Everybody said, "What a horrible situation!" And then, oh, by the way, staff on a bipartisan basis from the White House and from all four corners of leadership of Congress have been negotiating right. every single day. And we're getting dang close to a deal. I mean, That's what I we were saying. The fact that they rolled today's meeting ahead is a sign of progress. Uh, yeah, I think it's both a sign of progress and the fact that the House uh, decided to skip town on Friday and nobody wanted to stick around and go to a meeting that they thought was going to be pointless as well. But yes. <laughs> uh, Howard, Howard. Please. Take it, take it, take it. Sorry, Rodney. Take it from an old house staffer to tell us when, yeah. uh, when to read the tea leaves <laughs> on the basis of the house not wanting to do its work. Uh, Rodney, tell us more I, about the house not wanting to do. I its don't. Work. I don't want to say anything more on the debt ceiling. We covered it. I just want everybody to know the axis of the globe just shifted because Towner and I virtually said the exact same thing, and that scares me to death. Okay. We're becoming of one mind. <laughs> Man, I got to I got to move offices in DC. <laughs> yeah, so, you, can, you can have my office if you can find it, Rodney. So well, they've already they've already given it away to five people. How many name tags it, are on I that think door? It's in yeah. a van at the border. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Could be. Could be. So I alluded to this earlier, and I know a couple of us, a couple of you, don't want to talk about it, but. I want to talk about it. And so therefore we're talking about it. So the former president had a town hall this week on CNN. And I look, I don't, it's like the same gobbledygook that he's spewing. And I don't really care what he had to say, like in specifics. It's interesting to me that CNN gave him the megaphone. And Mark, what are your, what's your thinking on that? I'm going to sound like you. This is a, a rare morning, Rodney. You and Towner are agreeing, and, and I'm impersonating Howard by saying, on the one hand, to give Donald Trump a national media platform to lie 
when we all know he was lying, he, for that matter, I'm sure knows he's lying, and CNN for sure knew he was lying because they kept saying, you're lying. To give him a platform to lie is, to me, a, a repetition of the complicity of the media in his rise in 2016. This is 2016 redux, and that is unfortunate. And irresponsible. But on the other hand, Howard, <laughs> he is the front runner for the nomination of the Republican Party for president. You can flip a coin as to whether we're going to have to somehow survive another four years of a Trump presidency. And how do you not cover that? How do you not cover that? So I'm, I'm you. I can go either way on this one. I, I, I just find it. Although Caitlin can't wait to be heard on this, uh, I'm I'm tired of talking about them. Caitlin, you can't wait to be heard on this. Oh gosh. Um. So look, he's not the nominee yet. We are still in primary season in the Republican primary. We have many candidates that have not even formally announced. He is the former president of the United States. Like him or not, like the way that he ended his presidency or not. So I understand, you know, CNN feeling the need to have him on. I would not have packed the audience with his um, most fervent supporters. I think that was not optically, you know, as they're cheering and he's sneering and getting nasty with Caitlin Collins, who was leading the town hall. But I also think, look, it's good for Republicans to see that, again, front and center, the makings of every campaign ad on in the Democratic Party, if he is indeed our candidate. So I'll pivot to positivity again this Friday morning. We are early on in the primary season, as I will quote President Biden. Do you want four more years of that? And to my Republican colleagues and friends, I would say, hell no. So Rodney, jump in because you probably have some unique perspective here on the president, the former president. Well, anybody who watched the town hall, which I did not, just seen the coverage of it. Anyone who thinks that Donald Trump was going to change any behaviors that he's ever exhibited before does not know Donald Trump. You know, Caitlin and I agree on this podcast a lot. So that's not surprising. But now we've created a four-headed monster because I already said Tyler and I agreed on something today. And now... I have to admit, I'm feeling a little shaky, but everything Mark Alderman just said earlier, I agree with. Now, um, now I'm shaking, Rodney. You <laughs> should be. But you're, as somebody... bad who, for my brand, Rodney. Well, you're, you're killing my brand. I mean, we're becoming globalists like Howard. I mean, look at this. Exactly. We're it's bringing everybody together. This God, is, imagine that. People know there's a world outside the borders of the United States of America. It's well, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. overrated. Overrated. Close the border. Title 42, 47, and 49. Put it all in. That's what that's what Alderman's saying right now. <laughs> hey, um, hey, in all seriousness, you know, a guy like Trump, he is who he is. And he is the front runner for the Republican nomination right now. Whether Caitlin and I want that to be, that is the absolute fact. And what is really frustrating is that. You have the institutional media feigning indignation about this town hall that they got record viewership on. 
they want Donald Trump to be CNN, in my opinion, wants Donald Trump to be the nominee. They gave Donald Trump in 2016 billions upon billions of dollars in, in earned media, completely free at the expense of every other candidate. It is happening again. And the criticism that Caitlin Collins is getting for doing that interview is something that is, it's like a junior high cat fight between journalists at major news media outlets. Well, by the that way, they want that too, because they're about to put her on prime time. So they want buzz. It's yeah. all, it's all about that. Caitlin is very, Caitlin has very good sources. Caitlin Collins, not just Caitlin Martin, Caitlin mm -hmm. Collins has very good sources within the Trump orbit. And is somebody who can speak to all sides of, of the issue of the Republican nominee and the Democrats. That's what you want in a journalist, I thought. Why criticize that? Rodney, what was it like in your your primary going up against some a MAGA Republican? How did you how did you try to push back on that? What what was it like to to have kind of be on the other side of Trump in a campaign? Well, it, it was fine until the last weekend. Then it really sucked. <laughs> it was fine until the people actually voted, Rodney. Well, that that too. No, last how did weekend, you how did you deal with it? How did you deal with the nonsense, the MAGA he nonsense? Here's the difference. Um, you, you deal with nonsense no matter whether Donald Trump is around or not. That same type of nonsense you're you're alluding to happened without Donald Trump being the the instigator of that. I, I'm, I was a little unique. Donald Trump never did publicly criticize me. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, he didn't. Well, then make you're fired. Personal. Yeah. So in yeah, the end, what happened? Cover, was, Rodney. I, 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 I got to tell you, though, I mean, I, and, and I hate to do it, but I got to give his team and the folks who were against me credit is they, 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 they took a situation. In a, in a low primary turnout on a new primary date in Illinois, in a brand new district that was a lot more MAGA than the district that I served. And they came in the last minute, had the resources and changed the turnout model that every political prognosticator thought would happen. And that's why I lost. And, and you know what? got to give them credit for that. So don't underestimate their ability to come in and win this Republican nomination and also to figure out a way to thread the needle to win the election again. And I would hate to have four more years of a grieved, even more grieved President Donald Trump. What was the profile of the person they were turning out? Low like, propensity voter, MAGA, so Trump only voter. It didn't matter what I would have said, whatever Donald Trump told them to do, that's what they would do. And they would they went out and they cast that vote. If you look at exit polling, you look at any pre-polling of who that voter was, those were the Trump only voters. And those voters exist. I mean, I saw it in 2016. I saw it in 2020 when I was waiting in line to early vote. People come up to me. Trust me, when someone talks to a candidate like me in line to vote, that means they are voting for you. Because if they're not voting for you, they don't make eye contact. <laughs> and you see that often. Yeah. And they, these low propensity voters came out in droves in 2020 and in 2016. And, and what, Rodney, where ahead, I'm curious, where where were they ten years ago? Not not engaged, not involved, not voting, or are these the Obama Trump voters that that we've seen a surprising number of? Is, is it 
what happened? Where, how did they go from wherever they were 10 years ago to knocking you out of office because Trump told them to? Well, a lot of the, 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 the voters that were in the margins and the voters that created the Trump margins in 2016 for him to win and for, for him to keep it close in 2020 um, were people who have really never voted before people who weren't energized by any candidate. However, what you're talking about, Mark, has been the seismic shift in the blue-collar voter in the United States of America. Um, Your party became more associated with positions and elitist Democratic, you know, so-called solutions that left the blue-collar market. I mean, I remember being told by UAW workers when I first ran, you're a Republican, I'm never voting for you. By the end of the decade, by the end of my time in service, some of those same people were the ones saying, I can't vote for you because Trump said I, I can't. And they have flipped to tell me when I'm not Republican enough. However, here's the good news for Democrats. That same time, the suburbs have flipped the other way. Yeah. And where does most of the population live? In suburbia rather than rural America, which has become solidly Republican versus suburban America. That's where Democrats should be scared. If it's not Donald Trump, there are Republican candidates that can bring those voters back and we could have a Republican landslide, but not with Donald Trump. Listen, yeah. if the Republicans are wise enough, if he, uh, if he runs um, to nominate a Glenn Youngkin or a Tim Scott, they're going to win a lot of those suburbs. Well, DeSantis can do it too. He, he proved it in Florida. Uh, yeah, but yeah. he's doing a damn good job of shooting himself in the foot every yeah. single day. Actually, he stopped because no one cares about him that much anymore. <laughs> well, why, why would you, why would you say that? And, and, and at the same time, I think we can all agree that, that the media is giving Trump an outsized influence, uh, and, and outsized coverage. I, While I just, at the same time, the media is also working to take DeSantis down. I mean, thank you, Kate. They're, they're fl- standing well, these flames. I I think he's I think he's flopped so far. He's flopped before he's even announced. He looks weak. Yep. The the press that's coming out, which yeah. by the way is totally consistent with everything I've heard. Everybody I know in Washington say nobody likes the guy. Yeah. I like Nobody the likes press, the guy. The press is doing what it has always done. It it is. Uh, the media is infanticidal. The media gives birth to candidates and then kills them. And that's what they did. Except Donald Trump. Well, in the beginning, they were putting him on to kill him, (laughs) to to give him, give birth. We'll thank thank Mika and Joe for that, right? They they forgot to kill him. That was the problem. But Rodney, I agree. Uh, Again, here we go. Your analysis, I think, is absolutely spot on and and very articulate. I appreciate the way you laid it out. And it's from your own experience in your district where people couldn't vote for you because you're a Democrat. Ten years later, they couldn't vote for you because Trump told them not to. But for it is hard to express in words how scary it is for Democrats to be wishing for Donald Trump as the nominee so we can beat him again because we didn't the first time. The horror of a Trump candidacy is that he's one and one in presidential elections and wishing for him. I don't. 
I, I'll take my chances with Tim Scott, who may well send Joe Biden home. But at least we would have a responsible adult as president. Well, that's because, Rodney, you may you may or may not know this yet, but there are many issues on which Mark Alderman is actually more Republican than Democratic. He just doesn't like to uh, well, to admit to that, particularly on April 15th or 18th. Or I'm whatever a Biden the heck Democrat. So, by the way, there are many issues on which Joe Biden is more Republican. Uh, Otherwise known as limousine liberal, Mark Alderman. Thank you. My question, Mark, though, is not an electric vehicle limousine yet. No, I'm that's I'm on both sides. Yeah, there are a couple of EV drivers on this screen. I'm not one of them. (laughs) My my question, though, Mark, is similar to maybe there's only one with with two EVs. I'm proud to be the one that cares about the environment, Mark. Thank you. Pennsylvania is a fossil fuel state. I'm I'm being loyal to my home state. Counter, sorry. Counter. No, Counter. that's all right. That's all right. I'm going <laughs> to let you guys continue on your EV fight. <laughs> it's an enjoyable. I my question is similar to last election cycle in Illinois, Pennsylvania, uh, New Hampshire, a number of other places. Are Democrats actually going to spend money supporting Donald Trump in the Republican primary, thinking he's the one uh, that they would like to face and and beat? Uh, and that's my big question here. I mean, they propped up Mastriano. They propped up, you know, candidates in Illinois governor's race, the conservative candidates and in, in New Hampshire, in the Senate race there and other places. Uh, it was what, 14 candidates in all uh, MAGA candidates across the uh, across the spectrum that they supported in order to get them into the general election. Will they do the same thing with the MAGA candidate in the presidential election coming up? Maybe. Maybe because it worked, right? Yeah. It worked last time. Generals are always fighting the last war. Democrats are always fighting the last war. And I I think there's a good chance that's what you see. And that's just, to me, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Right again. It's, Do you think Chuck uh, Schumer can actually put in an ad, can fund an ad in favor of Donald Trump? Oh, they can. Chuck Schumer could (laughs) put a press conference out there. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think you can. It's going to be tough. They'll do it. Towner's right. Really? I saw it happen in Illinois. You had Governor Pritzker spend $32 million of his own money propping up the candidate he wanted to run against and then promptly (laughs) eviscerated that candidate in the general election and eviscerated our Republican candidates up and down the ticket who could have won. So, Caitlin, for how many more minutes are we allowed to discuss Trump? I, I think we've reached our our max. I don't so think so. I'm surprised. Well, to, to Mark's point earlier about his fear, I, I am I do just want to mention that very scary poll that came out earlier this week that had in a Joe Biden, Donald Trump matchup, I think Trump ahead seven points. So my hope is that. That was more about the general Republican ticket over Biden, but you know, not a great poll for our current sitting president. No, there were other polls that had it opposite, although not by that margin. But but it's a coin toss, and that's horrifying. I can't even fathom who would serve in another Trump administration. He ran oh, I through. Could, I could give you a whole list. Oh, yeah, the Heritage yeah, Foundation yeah. has a book on it. <laughs> I don't know. Towner, Towner French. You know, I liked 
the beginning of the first Trump administration from a lobbying perspective because he didn't have a team at all. I mean, there were six people with him on election night in Trump Tower in 2016. And so everybody he hired to staff the White House, to staff all the the key political appointments were all inside the Beltway people who, you know, I worked with, Rodney worked with, Caitlin's worked with, even Mark and Howard, you've both worked with. You know, I mean, it was the first round of the Trump White House was like walking into a, a Capitol Hill Alumni Association event. And uh, and it was phenomenal from a lobbying perspective. Obviously, over a two year period, the first two years of his four years, a lot of those people were gone. Uh, and in comes, you know, the the conservatives or people who just tried to groupies that tried to align themselves with Donald Trump. Tanner, I'd, I'd like to point out that there's only one person on this podcast that's actually worked in a Republican presidential administration. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I'd also like to point out that there's only one person on this podcast who's actually worked in a Democratic presidential administration. Also me. <laughs> <laughs> Hence. 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 Both the both sides is an invitational golf tournament that Howard is going to be hosting. You (laughs) are the kind of administration person that (laughs) lobbyists like. (laughs) Howard's the political class. We are going to have to have an epiphany moment on every podcast when Howard realizes why he's such a globalist. Oh, I worked in both administrations. (laughs) Proudly. And Caitlin, you just just pop in, go, epiphany. There's Howard again. We all know there's... To to be semi, only semi-serious, but semi-serious for a moment, there is a permanent government in Washington that actually runs the country apart from election results. Those are at the margins of the permanent government, the deep state. And at least one person on this podcast is a card-carrying member of the deep state. And and it isn't Rodney, Mark, Caitlin, or Town. So we'll let our audience figure it out. As long as the MAGA people don't come after me, guilty. (laughs) But actually, Mark, in all seriousness, there are many, many, many people that I have talked to. I would venture to guess that we all have talked to career civil servants around Washington, people in agencies who, Towner, to your point, or, or maybe it's even a little bit beyond your point, will tell you that they preferred working for the politicals in the Trump administration over the politicals in the Biden administration. And by the way, I am no apologist for Donald Trump, as you know, I friggin' hate the guy. But this administration, the current administration, has not distinguished itself with the quality of its political appointees. They're not that open to conversation. They're not that thoughtful They're not in the office. They're not in the office. Great point, Caitlin. I am no apologist for Donald Trump, as you know. But these are Democrats, Mark. Democrats in government who will tell you it was a lot better working for the Trump administration than it was for the Biden administration. This administration isn't that interested in hearing different perspectives. And there were many times, Towner, where I went in you weren't with us then, but where I went in to talk to the Trump folks on like in the EPA, for example, you know, they weren't rolling over for what we were asking them to do at all. They were willing to listen. And, and often Caitlin, you and I were in these meetings, they went against 
what our clients wanted. They weren't rolling over for the quote unquote anti environmental perspective, but they were willing to listen. And this administration, as much as we're in there, you know, they're not that willing to listen, Mark. Well, that's fair comment coming from actual experience. That's, I, I accept that. I've experienced that. And many of my friends who are big Joe Biden guys are having trouble working with this administration because there's a there's a paradox. The the Trump administration was as ideological, not the president himself, but the people he brought in were as ideological as any administration ever, as ideological as this administration. But they, as you're describing, they they were practical and they did actually want to listen. This administration has has a hard time listening. They know what they are trying to do. And I endorse for the most part the agenda, but they are a lot less interested in hearing objections to their agenda and a lot less interested in hearing the other side. This is not, Brian Flaherty cannot accuse this administration of both sides. Well, Tanner, like- Said, Said another way though, this administration is staying on message or what they believe to be the right message. The Trump administration was an absolute and utter free for all of policy where career officials could send out their own press releases and try to drive policy at the White House. I had a client in 2017 tweet Donald Trump and get invited to the White House for a meeting with the president. What kind of ridiculousness is that from a lobbying perspective? This is why it was so great like, from I a mean, lobbying it was, perspective. It was nuts. It was nuts. In, in that's, a great, that's a great rebuttal. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. And this White House is staying on message. And that upsets career people in the Obama White House, in the Bush White House, career people upset because they there was a command and control from from the top down, from the White House out to the agencies. And you didn't speak out of turn if you were a career or if you're a low level political at, at an agency mm. or if you did, there was going to be consequences. You better you better. Nah, they were super professional. But I wouldn't say that it was well very top you were, down. You were running a program that everybody wanted to hear from every day, too. <laughs> you weren't like in some office over in the small business administration, you know, trying to get your message out and make sure the yeah, president no. had a <laughs> I mean, that was a different time. The White House <laughs> yeah. didn't tell us what to do on anything. We told the White House what to do. Yeah, exactly. There was That's no slightly different experience. For, for a few months, Hank Paulson was effectively the president of the United States. Right. You your your experience was completely different than most political Yeah, but that but but even before that, yeah. the White House wasn't and when I was at Exim, the White House wasn't telling us where to come out on issues. We were allowed to run our programs and if we did something like we knew where the lines were yeah but generally you know it was a very professional operation i think your point about the free-for-all in the trump administration is a good comeback it was yes it was pretty much a free-for-all the the interesting thing though is something that trump put into place which was white house liaisons to each of the agencies which proved for him very ineffective because everybody had their own agendas and it was such a free for all 
Biden has essentially copied and it's created this command control where everything needs the the sort of, you know, approval or the stamp uh, from the White House if you're going to do it from an agency office or something along those lines. Well, there have always been White House liaisons, I think. They were more assertive in their... Well, I think they became more assertive in the Trump administration is what is what you're saying. That's like the yeah, that's not a position of of power. Well, whatever it has been, it is about to get more so with the election coming up. The White House is going to take charge of anything it hasn't already and is going to drive this message, as as Towner says, through the administration So what you see with the Biden administration is what you get for a lot of reasons. And now you overlay a presidential election and it's going to be less welcoming and less and less interested in in the other side of the story, I think, for uh, for a little while. One general comment on the upcoming election is most of the people that are still running this election are disciples of Obama uh, at the end of the day. And it's interesting to me because I remember talking to Paul Ryan uh, when he was when he was on the ticket to BVP and uh, or maybe immediately after they lost. And he said, the Obama team just stayed a step ahead of us the entire race. They would bring up a new issue every two days or three days. They'd have a whole rollout on it agencies would be involved, the whole deal. We would seek to respond to it. And they were already on to a new topic. And he always used to say it was the campaign of, hey, look, squirrel, you know, and trying to distract people, this issue, this issue, this issue. I don't think, I think that's still the 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 plan at the end of the day. I think that's just like everybody kept repeating Carl Rove after 2000 over and over and over again for Republicans. I think they're doing, there's caught in that cycle again for Democrats but I don't think Biden can keep up with that schedule. And so I'm going to find it very interesting if they sort of, you know, find themselves stuck in the mud on a few issues because they can't react as quickly as the Obama administration did. And certainly Biden in his first term as well. Not to mention, they have to keep the principle on message. And the more they put President Biden out there, I mean, just yesterday, he I think it was, was it Wednesday or Thursday? He was in New York and Republican freshman House member Mike Lawler's district and he embraced him publicly. Lawler showed up at the event, the president's in the district, he showed. And he embraced Lawler and said, he's a good guy. He's not one of these crazy MAGAs. And of course, the DCCC and uh, Majority Leader Jeffries are coming out going, no, 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 because that's a key. That's that's one of the four seats that make up the Republican House majority in the flips. So I think the more we put Biden out there and let (laughs) Biden be Biden, which, hey, I'm all for. I loved it. But it's just going to be interesting to see as they try to keep him on message. Joe from Scranton, you, friendly guy. Do you think he if, would have hugged Rodney in his race? I, yeah. I was going to say, if Rodney Davis were he still did. in Congress, would Rodney <laughs> have hugged Joe Biden? I, let's take a poll. I think the answer is yes. Oh, yes. I've seen Rodney <laughs> hug inanimate <laughs> objects before. I mean, he's going to hug just about anybody. Yeah. Has Rodney ever hugged the flag? That's what I want to know. Every day in Southern <laughs> Illinois, you wake up and you hug the flag. Let me, you know what? I'm going to get a new backdrop for this podcast that no one can see, and it'll just be the flag flying in the background. <laughs> it'll distract Mark. Um, <laughs> in the end, I got to tell you, I've learned a lot on this podcast. It's the only person. <laughs> 
who was not part of the swamp in Washington, <laughs> D.C. during the Obama or the Trump administration or now the Biden administration. Well, actually, until now. Until yeah, now, we baptize you in mud. Welcome to the swamp. Part, <laughs> of, part of what I, I, I witnessed during the Trump administration is exactly what you guys have said. During the Obama-Biden administration, I flew on Air Force Two with President Biden. It was great. I'm sitting there in the cabin. He's eating a salad, telling me his life story. And, and actually, I he was like talking while he was eating the salad. So the little salad particles are coming out. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, this is so cool. I'm sitting with the <laughs> vice president of the United States. And he's telling me the story. We got pictures in the limo to go to an anti-sexual assault rally at the Uni University of Illinois. And surprisingly, in my last primary, those pictures were used against me in the primary. So I did hug Biden. I actually like Joe Biden as a person, been to the White House when he was president. But you know what? I'm with Caitlin. Put him out there. He's going to make mistakes. That's why his poll numbers are actually worse than President Trump's. And speaking of Trump, everything you guys said about the Trump administration is true. They were great to work with. Those appointees got what you were saying as a as a lobbyist, obviously what you said as a legislator, I got so many of my ideas and my, my priorities implemented under the Trump administration because they had people who were willing to listen. But the bottom line is this, what you guys just said could, once this podcast goes viral, disrupt the entire MAGA world. Because what you just said was that Donald Trump made it easier for the swamp to operate and grow within Washington, D.C. Are you willing to say that publicly? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a nuance there. It made it easier for Donald Trump, made it easier for the entire swamp to grow. The Biden administration so he did not drain the swamp. The, swamp. <laughs> the Biden administration just likes parts. Howard, he did not drain the swamp. He can he I just point out he that grew the deep state? The breaking news on this podcast, apparently, is that Congress itself is not part of the swamp, according to Rodney Davis. <laughs> that is breaking <laughs> of news. Of course. Of course right. we're not. I mean, I don't know what world. Oh, Lord. I, yeah, you know that's what? We really, gotta, I gotta I go talk. That, I'm calling Heller right now. That's uh, really I, This was not news. what I was told. Give Rodney a CNN town hall. If he's going to get up there and say stuff like that, they'll put you on for an hour, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Trump grew the swamp. Oh, my Lord. I wish I'd have known that in my primary, and then I wouldn't be hanging out with you, yahoos. That's in all rude. seriousness, really interesting podcast. I think, Rodney, hearing from you about your experience running, fascinating. I think we should do more of that. You know, I think we try to bring our per what we see and walking around town and what we've lived to our loyal listeners, and we, we appreciate all of you listening. We will... Be back next week, spirited as, as always, Mark Towner, Caitlin Rodney, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.